This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. The holidays can be a difficult time for many people, including those in recovery from substance misuse. It's important to remember the accessibility and usefulness of the overdose-reversing medication, naloxone. When um, naloxone is administered, it reverses that effect by binding to those receptors in the brain and kicking the opioid molecules off those receptors. That story and more coming up this West Virginia morning. Last week, the Senate voted down Senator Joe Manchin's bill to fast-track the Mountain Valley Pipeline. As Curtis Tate reports, Manchin says he knows why. Manchin's bill to overhaul permitting for fossil fuel and renewable energy projects couldn't get the 60 votes it needed to advance in the 100-member chamber. He got 40 Democrats to go along and needed 20 Republicans. But when the Senate Republican leader announced his opposition, that was pretty much the end of it. And I watched it happen, and Mitch McConnell held all the Republicans off, and we got seven. That was it. Senator Shelley Moore Capito was one of the seven who signed on. Manchin says he plans to try again next year. Manchin did chalk up a win, though, for West Virginia in the big spending bill Congress is about to pass. It includes the STREAM Act, which will allow funds from the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act to be used to clean up acid mine drainage. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Many West Virginians are focusing in on their binoculars right now, contributing to the annual Christmas bird count. Randy Yowie has the story. This is the 123rd year for the Audubon Society's Global Bird Count, conducted between December 14th and January 5th. David Paddock compiles count numbers for a group of Cabell and Mason County birders. He says counts are underway throughout the state with participants picking one date and recording all the numbers and species of birds they see over a 24-hour period. Paddock says local and state data tallies help with species preservation and a better understanding of how our feathered friends live. They gather the data and they look at population trends, see if there's any uh, population decline and see if there's any species decline due to lack of food or uh, climate change. Paddock says the American starling is West Virginia's most abundant bird, followed by the common crow and the blue jay. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. There's been plenty of big news in America this year, along with some very violent and disturbing events. Us and Them host Trey Kay has been traveling around asking people, how's America doing? And what do you think of that? There is plenty of disagreement between people of different beliefs and political parties, and some worry that our politics have become just another sporting event where all that matters is the winner. However, there are still optimists who say collectively we can help shape policies that lead to the American dream. Here's an excerpt of the latest episode of Us and Them. Despite our differences, some Americans have more in common than many partisans believe. One of those people is Henry Cisneros. He served in President Bill Clinton's cabinet as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Before that, the San Antonio native was a city council member and mayor of that Texas city. Today, he's mostly an optimist. In my darker moments, I share the sense of pessimism and anger and contention. We see moments like the election of 2022 
where people's good sense seems to emerge. And I'm not saying that because the Democrats did better than expected, but because people just kind of rose and a, a, a set of balanced judgments came to the fore. And you can analyze it from the perspective of Roe or from the perspective of Trump or from the perspective of other hot button questions. But I've always believed that if you give people enough information and you take the time to explain and explain and re-explain, the people collectively will do what is essentially the right thing. That's my profound and unshakable judgment. And even though they make mistakes sometimes, like the election of 2016, a mistake in my view, when they have a chance to correct it in 2020, they did. So I just have an abiding faith, and I don't mean this as some romantic notion, but a practical faith in the collective judgment. And for the most part, the American people end up doing the right thing. I'm thinking at the time when you were mayor and the time that you were on the on the city council, we really didn't have an Internet and we didn't really have like a a kind of a uh, a tidal wave. I'm thinking maybe like a tsunami of misinformation. So even though we have that, do, do, do you still feel hopeful? I do. And, and, and it's because um, I used the word collective every time I said it, because there is, I think, a gestalt, an underlying collective wisdom. And it's a, it's a, it's a mixture of culture and experience and good sense and religious beliefs and everything else. And it may be impacted by misinformation campaigns, and it may be impacted at another level by some crazy internet strategy, but those don't touch everybody. And the collective body prevails. These days, Cisneros serves on the board of the Bipartisan Policy Center. It's a think tank dedicated to looking for, quote, the best ideas from both parties. Shortly after being tapped by Clinton to serve as HUD secretary, Cisneros experienced a friendly bipartisan gesture when his predecessor, Republican United States Senator Jack Kemp, spoke out in support of him. When I went to the Senate for my confirmation hearing, one of the people who insisted on testifying on my behalf was Jack Kemp, my predecessor of the other party. And for another party. Yeah. yeah. So later we got together, urged by other people to write a kind of a bipartisan approach to housing policy in the United States. We did it. That happened in 2005. Cisneros and Kemp's book, Opportunity and Progress, a bipartisan platform for national housing policy, was published by Harvard University Press and won a Common Ground Award. That excerpt is from the latest Us and Them episode, 2023, Where Do We Go From Here? Tune in tonight at 8 on West Virginia Public Broadcasting, where you can hear the entire episode. There will be an encore broadcast on Christmas Eve, Saturday, December 24th at 3 p.m. Us and Them is supported by the West Virginia Humanities Council and the CRC Foundation. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751.
A winter storm warning is in effect for areas in the Potomac Highlands and Eastern Mountains through this evening. Mostly cloudy skies today with scattered rain, freezing rain, sleet, and snow possible in the east, especially in higher elevations, highs in the 30s and 40s. Tonight, snow and gusty wind with lows in the single digits. Tomorrow, snow and gusty wind with temperatures remaining in the single digits and wind chill values below zero. Support for WVPB is provided by Dutch Miller Subaru in Charleston. Dutch Miller Automotive is proud to be dedicated to multiple community service initiatives and local charities. More about our team and the Subaru Love Promise at DutchMillerSubaru.com. The holidays can be a difficult time for many people, including those in recovery from substance misuse. Montingalia County Health Department Threat Preparedness Specialist Joe Class sat down with reporter Chris Schultz to remind listeners of the accessibility and usefulness of the overdose reversing medication naloxone. Joe, can you start off here by just explaining to us what naloxone is? What naloxone does is naloxone will actually kick opioid molecules off receptors in the brain and get people breathing again after they've suffered from an opioid overdose. When someone takes too much of an opioid, opioids are central nervous system depressants. It'll basically make someone you know, get very tired, eventually pass out, their breathing will slow, and eventually it may stop. When um, naloxone is administered, it reverses that effect by binding to those receptors in the brain and kicking the opioid molecules off those receptors. Naloxone has actually been around for a long time as a medication, but but, you know, only recently, you know, have we really seen its use, like you said, skyrocket as far as op- uh, overdose reversal. And, yeah, naloxone works very well and it works very fast, which is one of really one of the great benefits of it. And it's very safe. So, you know, one of the big things when we do naloxone training is reinforcing the fact that naloxone, if it's given to someone who's not suffering from an opioid overdose, you know, it's really not going to cause any detrimental effects to the person, at least not in the dosages that these people are going to be giving out on the street. Why do you think it's important or useful for the general public to not only be aware of these medications, but also be ready to use them? Currently, naloxone is now in the your tool belt with CPR, stop the bleed, and other public trainings. Not just, you know, because of the opioid epidemic, but also because, you know, you never know when you may need naloxone, whether it be um, a child gets into a medicine cabinet, it could be an older individual who's taking, you know, their prescribed pain medication, and they may take too many. So, you know, you really never know when you may need naloxone. And, you know, the reason I think it's really important, you know, to get that training to as many people as possible is not just because, one, you, you never know when you're going to encounter it, but two, is naloxone works very well and it's, and it's very safe. So it'll, it'll most likely work and get that person breathing again. And you'll give them another chance of not only to live, but, you know, to get into recovery or get into other services that they need. So, Joe, it, it is a holiday week here at the end of December as we speak. We often hear about the emotional impact of this time of year. Are you aware at all of any correlation between this time of year and um, overdoses? 
I think there definitely is a correlation between holidays and increase in potentially isolation of individuals who don't have family members or friends that they can kind of celebrate with. And obviously, you know, that increased stress potentially is going to cause people to, you know, misuse substances or try to take solace in something else. And in some cases, that is going to be, you know, a substance that may hurt them. To the average person who may be interested in going through a naloxone training, what form would this uh, medication come in? There are multiple formulations um, of naloxone, both as far as the dosages and then also as far as how they're administered. It's very common um, to have naloxone administered uh, via the nose or intranasally, um, primarily because it's pretty easy to administer it that way. And, you know, it works very well. It absorbs very quickly in a systemic circulation. However, we, you know, we also do have um, intramuscular or IM naloxone, which is given um, into a muscle, basically like uh, someone would get a vaccine or a shot. And there are a couple of different ways that that can kind of be administered. Sometimes you can just draw it up from a vial and administer it that way. There are also um, different products that actually are almost work like EpiPens, where it already has a dose drawn up for you, and all you have to do is basically take the safety off and administer it. I think really the most important thing is whether it be intranasal or intramuscular, it's, you know, what do you have access to and what are you trained on using or what do you feel comfortable using? Part of the reason that I wanted to speak with you is that West Virginia Public Broadcasting recently received some information about one of these formulations that, that came kind of prepackaged. And one of the things that was purported in that release was that with the increase in fentanyl-related overdoses, there has been a, a need to sometimes double or triple the dosage of naloxone used when responding to an overdose? From a general pharmacological standpoint, you know, it absolutely is true that, you know, the more opioids you have in your system and the higher the potency of the opioids, the more naloxone you're going to need to reverse the effects. However, there are a lot of different factors that kind of come into play as far as, you know, how many doses of naloxone will someone actually need to have the effects reversed because, you know, it has to be administered correctly, depending on how much of an opioid the person took will kind of dictate how fast it's going to work. If you do look at the data, it is true that we are seeing fentanyl in more and more things, and fentanyl is very potent. And there are, of course, you know, numer or numerous cases where people are having to administer more than one dose of naloxone, whether it be intranasally or intramuscularly. If you're interested in naloxone or naloxone training, you know, reach out to uh, the Montegaley County Health Department or West Virginia Peers, and we'll get you trained up and get you some naloxone. That was Joe Class speaking with reporter Chris Schultz about the overdose reversing medication naloxone. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. Oh, oh, oh.